With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. Welcome to the Drill Down. We've got business stories behind stocks on the move. I'm Corey Johnson with episode number 236. Well, just ahead, Bristol-Myers Squibb makes a big acquisition focusing on schizophrenia, but there's a bigger market right behind that. And Winnebago Industries, an interesting company suffering from interest rates, but has the turn occurred? And a fascinating conversation with Travel and Leisure CEO Mike Brown. The timeshare business is really different than what you might have in mind. We're going to talk about those changes and why this is the time for timeshares, perhaps, perhaps even for this company. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more and to get 20% off if you use our link, Braintrust.com slash drill down. Artem Futurum's Chief Market Strategist, Corey Johnson. Welcome to Futurum's The Drill Down, where we explain the business stories behind stocks and move. Joining me right now on the mic, Ben Wilson, our editor extraordinaire. Ben, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you, too. It's fun to be here. It's a and good Happy time. New Year. This will be our holiday show, our last show of the year. Exciting. That works. So many holidays wrapped up into one show, Corey. That's a lot of pressure. I didn't even mention Boxing Day. <laughs> well, I don't know. Futurum's chief market strategist can probably handle it. Still loving the new job title. Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? Let's start by looking at Bristol-Myers Squibb. Big day for the company. Bristol-Myers Squibb trades with the ticker BMY with a market cap of about $106 billion. Shares were up 2% in the last week, but for the last 12 months, shares are down 29%. So what is the story with Bristol-Myers Squibb? Well, the big story with Bristol-Myers Squibb is they are trying to change their business. They're trying to grow and grow more into growth. They've got a CEO who's come in and said he's going to find more drugs that will offer more fast-growing sales like they haven't had in the past. Uh, and he's going to do it by building up the brands they have and doing some acquisitions. And today, an acquisition, a big acquisition, $14 billion, buying a drug developer called Karuna Therapeutics for $330 in cash. So a big deal for the big day for Bristol-Myers Squibb and surely a big day for Karuna Therapeutics. Now, Karuna has an experimental uh, schizophrenia drug called CAR-XT uh, that is just about to be approved by the government with any hope in the, in the spring. Uh, there's a deadline for the government to make a, a yay or nay call, and all indications are very positive for this drug. Now, this treatment could generate more than $6 billion in sales uh, if it hits the market, and uh, expectations, of course, are that it will. But what's interesting to me is that this isn't just, because I saw this uh, this morning across the tape right before the market opened, and and it was a, um, a big deal, uh, end of the year, obviously trying to get this thing done at the last moments. Uh, and so why is such a big market? Well, schizophrenia is a big issue, turns out, uh, Ben. Uh, 
million people in the U.S. being treated every year for schizophrenia. So that's a big thing. But the bigger thing, and the thing that wasn't in the headline, if you saw the headlines like I did and wondered, why would they pay $14 billion for a schizophrenia drug? Well, it's Alzheimer's. 40% of patients treated for Alzheimer's have some kind of psychosis uh, that is problematic to treat. There has never been a drug uh, like this uh, CAR-XT uh, to attract the sort of two uh, molecules uh, in this drug that are, are going after this um, schizophrenia. Uh, and it might actually offer, the, the current drugs on market have a lot of side effects. Patients who are taking these generics are constantly switching from drug to drug because the side effects are so bad and so hard to stay on these things. This thing doesn't appear to have those weight gain being the, the one of the biggest uh, problems with it and people being really sick, vomiting, and, and so on. Um, this drug doesn't seem to have those problems. We'll see what the government says, but these guys are obviously betting uh, a cash bet on FDA approval and thinking ahead, not just about the opportunity for uh, 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 schizophrenia itself, but uh, adjuvant, how do you say it? Adjuvant schizophrenia or adjacent uh, uses, uh, 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 the adjacent effects of schizophrenia on Alzheimer's patients is really the big market that these guys are thinking about here. It might be a few years out, uh, but that could expand this drug's use. That wider patient audience, the Alzheimer's patients suffering from psychosis, is exactly what Bristol-Myers Squibb's chief commercialization, commercialization officer, I should say, Adam Lankowski, was talking about on a conference call, a special conference call that happened here the Friday before Christmas. We're excited about the opportunity first in schizophrenia because this is the first new mechanism in decades. Um, and then when we look at moving into the middle of the decade, the opportunity for adjuvant schizophrenia is also very significant. There's nothing approved in that space. And we can clearly see the opportunity that CAR-XT can have on top of generic atypicals to, booster, to boost the efficacy of these products. So this certainly can be you know, a standard of care in, that, uh, in schizophrenia patients. Now, as it relates to Alzheimer's disease psychosis, we said this is the area where we see the, the most significant number of patients, and 40% of patients are you know, treated with Alzheimer's have psychosis in the United States. So this presents a very significant need. We believe that CAR-XT will be the first product approved in this space. Uh, we have two phase three studies ongoing today, and this will represent a very significant and meaningful increase for the brand in the back end of the decade and into the 2030s. So this will take a while. It's a, it's a secondary indication, uh, Ben. It's going to take a while for if the drug gets on market next year, even that's going to take a while to roll out because a lot of the patients being treated for schizophrenia are um, uh, Medicare patients, and therefore those doctors are a little harder for a, a newly assembled sales staff to reach. But beyond that, there's hope that there's a bigger market here for Alzheimer's. And boy, 40% of Alzheimer's patients, uh, my father uh, passed away from Alzheimer's last year. And, uh, you know, I, I saw this, I saw this at the home that he was at. This, the, the mental effects of Alzheimer's are just a horrible thing for families and patients to go through. And maybe here, there's some hope. Corey, what is your next drill down? Let's look at Winnebago Industries. Winnebago Industries. It trades with the ticker WGO with a market cap of about $2.1 billion. Shares are really flat this last week after reporting Q1 earnings. But for the last 12 months, shares are up 30 per, 36%. So what's the story with Winnebago Industries? Seems like they're going places. Uh, really? 
<laughs> really? <laughs> going places? There you go. All right. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, Winnebago is not going places. Winnebago is going down. <laughs> and not like a like a fake electric truck being pushed down a hill. No, Winnebago uh, has had trouble selling Winnebagos. Uh, why? Well, uh, it's high interest rates. Now, the other thing is a lot of people ran out to get Winnebago's uh, and, and these RVs um, after the, the pandemic was started to subside, but sort of towards the tail end of the pandemic, people were buying Winnebago's because that was one way for families to do vacations when maybe they weren't comfortable being in hotels and so on, uh, uh, and interest rates were low. Well, the, the pandemic has relaxed. The big surge of spending right after the pandemic has also relaxed. People uh, are, are a little more stressed out credit-wise. Interest rates are higher, and all that's been bad for Winnebago. The annual sales of the last uh, uh, the full fiscal years, um, uh, well, let's compare it. So the fiscal year at the height of the pandemic uh, uh, that ended for them in, in, at the end of August 2022, they did $5 billion in revenues. The next fiscal year, they did $3.5 in revenues. And the quarter they just reported this week, sales of just $763 million. That's down about 32% from two years prior. But... We are seeing a turn in interest rates and we are seeing employment stay really strong. And so the question is, is Winnebago seeing a turn? That is not a pun. I'm just talking <laughs> about their business. If you want to think about these big RVs turning, fine, you can think about that too. But I'm really interested in what CEO Michael Happ had to say at Winnebago Industries about whether or not there were any surprises in the retail environment right now. You know, we aren't seeing a lot of surprises in the retail environment right now. It has generally been tracking on both the RV and marine side to the internal projections that we have had for both calendar 23 and sort of the trend line that's headed towards obviously calendar 24 here in, in the coming weeks. I did mention that we are seeing um, positive retail from both Grand Design RV and Barletta. And when I say positive, I mean positive over uh, same weeks the year prior. So truly positive. Uh, the, the other uh, businesses are, are, again, trending as we expected um, and are, uh, you know, gradually improving uh, in a comp standpoint versus the year prior. Uh, as Brian and, and I both indicated, if we are to reach, um, you know, that uh, 2024 retail level uh, of 350,000 units approximately, we'll have to gradually see an overall uh, trend of RV, you know, retail comps uh, closer to ultimately, you know, flat to maybe late later in calendar 24 positive versus the year prior. So uh, no surprises uh, on the trends that we're that we're projecting internally. And uh, you know, the bigger the bigger uh, challenge in in the current short term is uh, you know dealers just continuing to very carefully manage their own inventories. So making sure dealers aren't overstocked, you're not going to see a blowout quarter, I think, from these guys or a blowout year if they want to manage inventories in a weak environment. But I think that uh, some positive weeks over a year ago, I think these are these little shoots, Ben, these little, these little growth moments we're seeing in this economy. And yes, they're seeing it at Winnebago dealers across the country. Corey, what's your next drill down? Let's look at Micron Technologies. Micron Technology trades at the ticker MU with a market cap of about $95 billion. Shares are up 7% in the last week, but for the last 12 months, shares are up 76% since 
So what's the story with Micron Technology? No small growth there. No, fantastic year for the stock. And for a money losing company, really kind of a fantastic year for Micron. They reported earnings in the last quarter, a quarter that ended November 30. So it's a fiscal 2024 quarter. It's the, it's the beginning of their next year. It's the first quarter of their next year. So it's Q1 2024. Even though, Ben, as we record this, it is still 2023, right? Barely. Mm -hmm. Last time our I last, checked. Our last show of 2023. Nonetheless, good quarter, albeit with a $1.2 billion loss. But revenue is up 16%. Year over year to $4.7 billion. Driven by Shocker. Ready? You wait? You ready? Guess? What's driving the sales I'm... of computer chips? <laughs> it's not Winnebago's? It's not Winnebago's. It's data centers mm. and artificial intelligence workloads in those data centers. But when you look at the coverage of this company, and I think that, you know, I've covered chips for a long, long time, long before we uh, ever even thought of the uh, Futurum, I've been covering chips. And, um, I think that the discussion of chips is often confusing. So I think it's important to think of three time frames here: long term, medium term, and short term. In the long term, Micron is a fantastic story. As Ben alluded to, the stock price demand is way up for all of Micron's memory products: a workhorse DRAM, NAND flash memory. Huge uptick in demand over time uh, as AI is used, um, and the, the models are might be trained with a super powerful NVIDIA and AMD chips, but but they are accessed using the memory chips made by Micron. Now, in the medium term, the demand for NVIDIA chips and longer time frame it takes to make all kinds of chips, including Micron chips right now, means there's an industry-wide supply shortage. And chip fabs like Samsung and Taiwan Semiconductor are massively oversubscribed, and that's affecting these companies in the medium term. But when we look at the quarter right now, in the last few weeks, the short term, very important for Micron, but it is short term. Again, long term, demand's great. Medium term, supply is hard to come by. But in the short term, we've seen a little bit of a slowdown of the breakneck pace of the AI build-out. It's still fast, but not quite as fast as it had been for every one of the course of the last year. And the result is, and we heard that from Micron in this quarter, was that customers are using up the inventory of chips that they have right now on hand a little bit more than they're ordering. And that's creating a little bit of a soft spot in orders. Uh, initially, Micron stock sold off when these results came out. But that's short term, and it's not going to affect the middle or long term growth in chip demand, at least from what we're hearing from every company in the chip industry, including Micron, including what we heard from Sumit Sanda, Micron's chief business officer this week. So on the data center side, there are you know some customers whose inventory will be normalized, let's say in the Q1 time frame, there may be some who will um, get into Q2 before their inventory is normalized. That's why we, uh, we said uh, sometime in the first half, because um, certain customers have uh, experienced some lower end market growth in the last many months. And mm -hmm. consequently, their consumption of the inventory has been slower. And that is what may bleed into Q2 from Q1 and I'm talking about calendar, you know, Q1, Q2 for 2024. Yeah. And um, and it's nothing uh, much to do with any of the strategic buys so much. And it's more to do with the uh, total extent of the DRAM and NAND inventory at large data center customers. So um, we believe it will be uh, mostly normalized in the first half and then um, 
more robust buying patterns coming in in the second half, and then as the overall data center general purpose compute growth accelerates, um, which you have seen um, general purpose servers um, actually fell, are likely to fall for calendar 2023 at a double digit rate, uh, server unit volume for general purpose needs. Um, I, you know, we expect that to stabilize um, in 2024, be sort of flattish uh, general purpose server unit volumes and then grow from that point on. Uh, so second half of 24 calendar year and then calendar year 25, you know, more robust growth along all of those fronts. So listen to them right there. Taking us from the short term to the second half of calendar 24 to calendar year 2025, robust growth, all fronts. That's the big story with Micron. I think that that's where we need to keep our focus when we want to talk about what matters instead of what matters this week. All right, coming up next, our guest, Travel and Leisure uh, CEO, Mike Brown. Ben, they call it travel and leisure when you talk to them. Hmm. But everywhere you read it, it's called travel plus leisure. Yeah, when I, when I first saw the travel plus leisure title, I just thought this was going to be an episode all about your holiday plans. There will be some leisure. There won't be any travel, I hope. I think my travel's done for the year, including a surprise trip to SoCal this week. But that's a different story. Travel and leisure surprise. is also a different story. Timeshares are not what you think they are. And I was really surprised in this interview uh, and doing research for this company to learn more about the timeshare business. That's really interesting, really interesting in this current environment of branding, of interest rates changing, and that story right after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. Never miss another critical event or insight ever with ERA. Customize your company watch list and track key events, mentions, filings, and more. All within an easy-to-use, customizable interface. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A, dot com. Welcome back to the Drill Down Podcast. We are joined right now by Mike Brown. He's the CEO of a company. Could be called Travel and Leisure. It's spelled Travel Plus Leisure. Mike, what do you call it? Travel and leisure. So you okay. get it right. No plus. Um, no plus. Well, there, there's, a, there's a good combination, travel plus leisure. Um, you guys have a fascinating business, and I don't think it's well, number one, I don't think it's well known. Number two, I don't think the timeshare business is well understood. Am I accurate to describe it as a timeshare business? It is today. Uh, we are a timeshare business, and we've got nearly 50 years of history and we're entering uh, a changing time in our history and the travel and leisure name and the travel and leisure acquisition in 2021 is going to help us get there. Yeah, the, the business has had different names and different ownership structures over a long period of time. That's right. We, we began as Wyndham, uh, which is a single brand associated with the vacation ownership business representing a single brand. The acquisition of travel and leisure in January of 2021 really opens our aperture to be more than a single brand company. We're moving from mono brand to multi-brand and the expression of some of our recent announcements of going beyond window Wyndham uh, really has shown what that travel and leisure umbrella is allowing us to do. Namely uh, the continued expansion of Margaritaville and the most recent announcement of sports illustrated resorts. Which is full circle for me because I was once, you don't know this, but I was once a writer, a uh, magazine writer, not far from where you are in Midtown Manhattan at this moment. But uh, I wrote for Sports Illustrated and I, I, to me, it is a revered brand, um, although a very different brand than it was before. What does that brand mean 
Um, maybe this might be too inside baseball or too inside my mind, but what does that brand mean in 2023? Well, simply the fact that the way you responded is exactly what important brands are all about is when you can associate something in your, your life to, um, to Sports Illustrated in this example means that you've got a strong brand. We, we have the Margaritaville brand and most people would associate that with uh, toes in the sand and a drink in your hand. And Sports Illustrated is around a sport and active lifestyle. And that can be uh, expressed in many different hospitality forms and which is what we're gonna do. But you you have your memory of Sports Illustrated and I and I think I can name the the Sports Illustrated covers that are most resonant in my history and brands as, that bring that such as the 1983 National Championship of North Carolina State under Jim Valvano. My father Jimmy was in North Carolina State. Oh, Jimmy really? v. Um, and I remember that uh, great uh, air quotes pass to Lorenzo Charles for the dunk. And but you could go to millions, tens of millions of people in the United States. And there's an association of sports history and sports legacy. And that's what Sports Illustrated means to most people today. So um, let's maybe go more macro and talk about what are the misperceptions of the timeshare business? Because you have a very profitable business. You have a business where margins have held up through just about everything except for maybe one year of COVID. Um, uh, throws off a lot of cash, has a lot of sales. What, what, what are the misconceptions of the timeshare business? Maybe we start with the customer and then talk about the sort of business math. Well, let's talk about before the great financial crisis and after the great financial crisis, because it is two completely different industries uh, in the sense that after the great financial crisis, this industry consolidated to be a branded industry. 75 to 80% of the, the industry of vacation ownership is sold by either Disney, Marriott, Hilton, Wyndham, Margaritaville, Holiday Inn. And those are brands that people love to vacation in. Before the great financial crisis, it was independent real estate developers, which is what created the tough reputation that these brands have changed. We brought a uh, vacation model that is the most flexible in the hospitality space. We brought a balance sheet that was going to be there for the life cycle of a vacationer. And we brought a commitment to rep reputation that ensured that you had to stand behind your hospitality name. And it's been a complete consolidation and evolution of the industry, whereby um, post-great financial crisis, it's all about brands, it's all about space, and it's all about flexibility. So who are the customers perceived to be and who are they? The perception um, is this is this is your grandfather, your grandmother's uh, hospitality or vacation product. The reality is, is the average new purchaser today is 38 years old. Um, they are 65% uh, in the case of our company, either a Gen Xer or uh, a millennial. And we're starting to see the first individuals that are Gen Zs. The reality is, is there comes a point in your life that you want to know and have comfort where you're going, that there will be no surprises when you show up, in my case, with my wife and two kids, what's behind that door in your vacation experiences, and that the pictures on the website reflect reality. And that tends to be someone who 
is a little further along in their career, the family has formed, and they want a good branded experiences that offers the guarantee that their vacation is going to be enjoyable. Yeah, you in some investor presentations, you've talked about family formation as a key driver for your business. That's right. That's right. Uh, I mean, I think about, uh, I'll use my family, but it represents many families across the United States, is you go on a ski vacation um, and you get home, uh, you want to be able to walk inside your door and put your boots down. One person goes and maybe opens a bottle of wine and the kids go and either get on their videos or, or post all the great skiing pictures they have. And it's amazing what a thousand square feet in your own kitchen can do to a vacation versus, you know, two double beds and 250 square feet. Um, it's more than just space. It's actually what that creates in the enjoyment of your individual vacation. And look, what, you know, when I was in my 20s and, and a lot of other people, you like to just go to that place and just see what happens. And it's just normal in the vacation life cycle that you want a little more security, that you're going to get a great vacation, that you're going to enjoy from, you know, sunrise to sundown. And a lot for a lot of people, that's a brand and that's, that's a little bit extra elbow room um, that you can enjoy. So talk to me about how the financial um, construction architecture cap, I'm not cap table, but you know, how, how does the balance sheet uh, look so different or even the income statement look different from what the business is like now compared to the, if you want to go pre great financial crisis fund? Yeah, that's, it, it's, it's a, it's a fundamental mis, misperception of the business, which is pre great financial crisis. Everyone's balance sheet was loaded with uh, land banks um, you know, future sites you were going to build, and then you went long on construction. Nowadays, through the great financial crisis, when some of the great names that we all know on Wall Street, the the Goldman Sachs, Blackstone, Center Bridges, Apollos, you know, rock solid investment companies that you want to be partners with, they saw the timeshare industry as a way to monetize real estate assets that were underwater during the great financial crisis. They got into the business, made these brands, I won't say fully capital uh, light, but you know, capital efficient, matching sales with, with investment. Um, so the balance sheets became much, much lighter, and we're able to partner with great banks and regional developers who now see the economics being highly profitable and, and are now coming to the brands to be partners in this industry, whereas pre-great financial crisis, timeshare companies were added alone using their balance sheets as a way to grow the company. So I think that is a major misconception now is that this is a capital intensive business, whereas where it is uh, very uh, capital efficient compared to where it was great uh, pre-great financial crisis. This is such an interesting time um, in the world of real estate with rising rates dramatically changing the ability of people to buy homes or second homes, which means vacation homes. Also dramatic change in the valuation of commercial real estate. I mean, I'm sitting here in San Francisco where you have so many hotels and other properties completely underwater. Um, uh, and then you've got thrown some climate change, speaking of underwater, where some properties right. might have looked valuable on the beachfront are now too close to the beach. Well, where, yeah. where does opportunity lie for you in terms of acquisitions of new properties, given the, all those macro factors? Well, I, well, I think I think you've hit uh, one of the biggest impacts of our opportunities to be in a lot of different places. Is there's always somewhere in the world that 
real estate's depressed or there's a need. And I, you know, San Francisco is a great example of it. Um, or Chicago or, you know, some of the urban locations today that are out of favor. If people are vacation for a lifetime, and in our case, have they have 250 resorts to choose from, get, getting involved at the right stage of a cycle is very important for us to make sure that we can pass along that value to the consumer. You know, our most recent developments have been urban destinations because Yes, people want to go to the beach or they want to go hiking in the Smoky Mountains or out west and, and some of the great national parks. But people also want two nights in Manhattan for a show or a few nights in Atlanta for you know some of the, some of the museums or activities there. So um, for us at the moment, our investment opportunity with the name, the Travel and Leisure Change, is we want to start attracting new pockets of the addressable market. And that's why we're super excited about Sports Illustrated because it's a segment of the market that hasn't really been addressed. And we think with the the legacy and the richness of Sports Illustrated, it opens up a brand new market that's not geographic, but demographic. So what what does that vacationer look like? Um, you mentioned you mentioned outdoor activities and so on. I I think of it more like the sort of sports we consume on the couch or at a bar or whatever. Um, obviously, that yeah. you know, I mean, when I was trying to cut my teeth at Sports Illustrated, I was writing about triathlons and cycling and surfing, but that's only because I couldn't get the job as a baseball writer because they had a better <laughs> baseball writer well, than me. But you know, well, it, but as evolution is, those are highly popular sports today. But in in our case. Um, one of the deepest passions is college sports these days. And we all know, we all know what uh, football brings. But the reality is, is you look at conferences like the SEC, the Big Ten, the ACC, the Big Five. And the reality is, is no matter whether your team is good or not, you're showing up for that event, whether it's, you know, a hockey team that's, you know, a powerhouse in the Northeast or the upper Midwest, or whether it's a football team in the Southeast, South, uh, the SEC. Um, people are uber passionate about their schools. And the response that we've received from alumni who are interested in being the developer at their university, it has been unbelievable. So you know pretty quickly whether you've, you've struck a nerve with the consumer or the general market. And we We've received more inbound calls in the first two months after this announcement than candidly I've received in probably my 30 years of hospitality. Wow. So give me an example of one of the projects. Well, the first one's going to be at the University of Alabama um, in Tuscaloosa. I will, I will share that um, our next project uh, is finishing up its zoning, but it is in a, in a Power 5 conference. And uh, let's, just, let's just say that no one will be figuring out where this where this club is on the map and where this university is. So we'd expect to have. I'm just going to guess it's not going to be in Berkeley. Well, I'll tell you, Berkeley has phenom a phenomenal sports program. Uh, I couldn't swimming, agree more. Go Bears! They're, they're swimming, water polo, all kinds of things are fantastic. So uh, every school has a sports for someone, but uh, th this this one is. Uh, uh, was in deep contention and maybe even in the college football playoffs. Very exciting. Well, you know, the, the, what, what used to be the Pac-12 
Looks great for a while this season. Even I lament because <laughs> I live amongst it. I went to a school that didn't even have a football team, so I've, hey, I've adopted hey, wa- some Washington, losers. Washington made it, and uh, they're one of four. You know, uh, this yeah. season started with nearly three hundred teams, and and now there are four, and 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 Washington's one of them. So they've got a shot. That's all you can ask for is to have a shot. Um, such an exciting business. What what are the sort of milestones you look forward to that when you look at your business, say ten years from now, what, what what's going to look different? We will be a stable of brands. Uh, people today, hospitality for the last 20 years has been, who, who are your global mega hospitality brands? And we can all name them. I think as you progress in the trend of where hospitality is going is, it's sort of like cable TV is you have your six channels and that's what you're going to go to. Hospitality, in my opinion, is the same way. People are going to continue to drill down uh, pun intended, uh, to no, no, I like the, it. Please bring, keep to, them coming, to, keep going down to the, um, to the lifestyle that they're accustomed to Margaritaville. One of our brands, people immediately associate that with the lifestyle sports illustrate is another, and there are plenty of brands out there that can express and associate to people's lifestyle that have nothing to do with the global hospital hospitality brands today. So 10 years from now, we want to have a stable of lifestyle brands in the vacation ownership business that express people's uh, best desires and, and really matches their way to vacation. Fabulous. We'll end on that. Mike Brown, thank you very much. The CEO of Travel and, or plus, Leisure. Coming up next on the Drill Down the Bite, one number that tells us a whole lot about travel and leisure right after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by Futurum Group, where analysts, researchers, advisors, content creators, and marketing experts help business leaders anticipate and understand shifts in their industries and build strategies to leverage disruptive technologies. With deep analysis, Futurum Group's extensive industry experience delivers reliable research and data, thought leadership, and actionable advice to help you with your strategy and go-to-market efforts. Futurum Group. We're back with the drill down to bite. The one number that tells us a whole lot. And Ben, as we learned in that interview, the buyers of timeshares are just not those grandparents. You kind of (laughs) picture the retirees shuffling along the boardwalk in Maui or Florida or wherever they do those. No, here's some, here's hard data from travel and leisure. So when we look at uh, 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 the, you know, the Gen Z millennial Gen X audience, Mm-hmm. 66% of the buyers, two thirds of the buyers of timeshares for travel and leisure are Gen X, millennial or Gen Z, young buyers, mm. often with young families buying timeshares. That's the travel and leisure business. 66%. I wouldn't have thought it. That's you, Ben. <laughs> I Giddy am up. a 66%. All right. Well, thank you for listening to the future groups. The Drill Down. I'm Corey Johnson. Thanks to Ben Wilson, our fabulous co-host. And importantly, our editor extraordinaire. There are the bells of the bell tower here at uh, the Ferry Building in San Francisco. We bid you um, a happy holiday season with uh, Christmas upon us, the New Year's right after that. We'll be back next year with lots more of Futurums The Drill Down, which is a production of Futurums Business Podcast Network. Futurums.